was the the Christians spread there they seem to be everywhere within the Empire within the Roman Empire how are they spreading if they are so persecuted normally if we just would think about any religion as soon as there becomes a high price most people most sane people would say well I don't think this is worth it however with Christianity we see just the opposite this generation would have been dying for something that they knew to be a lie because they were there. Welcome to God Talk, a show where a rocket scientist and a medical doctor, who is also my pastor, discuss science and religion. I'm your host, Doug Thorpe, and with me is always Dr. Andy Wyatt. Today on God Talk, we're going to discuss the lasting effects of Constantine. So, let's get started. Dr. Andy, welcome to the show. Doug, it's been a little while. We're starting off the new year. Yeah, glad to be back in the saddle on God Talk again. And hope uh, our listeners are ready for um, some new shows this year. Absolutely. New, new topics. We've got several exciting interviews coming up authors as well and in some exciting theological political uh, worldview topics on the on the way well i gotta ask we we heard from incubus yeah so uh, on the show today you'll be hearing uh you heard incubus on the way in that is a song called drive uh, incubus is out of the 90s a little after <laughs> our time <laughs> but i think they're actually probably old now but they're not not they're after our day okay we'll say that but incubus is a Kind of a, a metal, rap, fusion band. Um, I like some of their music. But that song, Drive, is a popular song. But why I chose that as the intro is we're going to look today at the effect of Constantine the Great. And we both talked about the importance and the impact that Constantine has had, not only on the church, significantly on the church, but on history at large. And I chose Drive because he literally changed the direction of the world and as if who's driving and i and i tell you when he started driving in uh, the fourth century the church completely changed and and i i would argue doug that the church that we know today would look different it would not look the same the complexion would be completely different we're going to get to that and how this one man (laughs) how how we've had god talk for three years and not really done a show on him is amazing that's what i'm surprised about but anyway drive Right, and we've had a lot of pushback from atheists who say, you know, Christianity was was uh, invented by Constantine. Right, and, and a lot of a lot of false claims, a lot, a lot of, of false, false claims, and there's a lot of people that think um, that the Bible was put together under Constantine. Right. It was even some people think it was even written under Constantine's order. Right. We know those things are not true, yet. Constantine's impact on the direction of the church, on the end of persecution, and the papal authority on the Roman church, and so many things we do today that we just take for granted, even worship, so much impacted by this one man and his leadership as emperor. Well, we've got a lot of history to go through today. We do. (laughs) And you love history. You do a good job of chronicling it if you don't lose us in in the numbers (laughs) and the details. But, but it's an exciting time to talk about. Absolutely. It really is. Now, throughout the show, you'll also be hearing an old tune that will come and go uh, by one of my old favorites. Robin Trower. Robin Trower. And he was a, he's kind of a blues 
guitarist um, from the 70s? Uh, Bridge of Sight. Bridge of Sight. And, and why did you pick Robin Trower today? Well, because one of the, uh, the highlights or the, the beginnings of Constantine's uh, uh, rule and his conversion to Christianity was on the bridge. On the bridge, yes. Yeah, it was, and so I thought, well, okay, Bridge of Sight. That'll help it, us remember it, the Bridge of, of uh, Milvian, yeah. Bridge of Milvian. Yeah, so Robin Trower will help us remember that. So great song, great music today by Incubus and Robin Trower, and I hope today you uh, will enjoy this show about Constantine the Great. The history is rich, and the outcomes have been significant for our world. But first, this is God Talk. A program where science, theology, and religion are mixed up, mingled, and dissected. And this is God Talk, brain candy for the thinking Christian, a bad day for the atheist, and a provocative question for the seeker. So sit back and relax, get comfortable, um, get your favorite drink, turn down the lights, and turn up your phone or your radio and listen today to God Talk as we talk about Constantine the Great. This is God Talk, and we're ready to talk. Been a long time crossing, bridge of All right, Doug, so we're talking about Constantine the Great and his lasting influence on Christianity and the world. What an interesting history, a time in history. You know, one of the more interesting times and one of the more interesting empires and leaders. Absolutely. And we're going to be, uh, it's kind of odd. Nothing actually provoked us to do this, right? It's just, uh, it just, well, actually, no, that's not true. There was a sermon that I mentioned the persecution of the church, and that led you to bring up the effect that Constantine had on persecution. That's right. Okay. Well, thank you for that. What you were saying was that when the church was persecuted, for the first 400 years or whatever, it would it went underground and spread, and they got stronger in their beliefs. That's it, right. And it is when they, uh, you know, when they were relaxed, like we certainly are today, is when the church got softer. That's right. And you in, see apostasy and weakening. It, it's yeah, certainly a, you can see it today. It, the the church in America is not under attack. That's right. And it's, we have freedom. It's gotten so weak. We now see a church that we might call watered down. Well, look at right? well, so look many at the, churches uh, are just... the Catholic Church in, in Europe where they've been funded for years, you know, uh, from by your taxes. You're funding the churches. And in those cases, the people are actually rebelling against the church. We've seen this on our, on our shows where, uh, you know, people in England are actually atheists because of you know, the church is so influential in the government. Yeah, the, the relationship, and if we think about it, the relationship of empire and theology started with one man, Constantine. So it's both the freedom and the, the greatness of what he did, and yet the lasting sadness and uh, really downfall. So it, it's, both, it's both the favor and the fall right. of the church. And, and today when you talk about... Uh, it's you know it started because we spoke about the persecution of the church and we're going to talk about that, but then we see the end of that persecution. The church gets soft. That's what sparked it. And then we started talking about 
how this man, Constantine, did this. You know, who is this guy? Where did he come from? How did he do it? Why did he do it? But if he had never have come, let's just say that Diocletian continued on and one of his uh, sons took over and continued to persecute. How would the church have ever gotten going in the way that it did? How would it have grown? How would it would it look different? Would it have stayed underground? Well, I think we'll, would, it, would have we gotten orthodoxy because orthodoxy came out out of this. You know, I, our I doctrine. We'll, yeah, that's very important. But I think you will answer that question today. From, I hope so. I think we'll have a good idea of what would happen. I hope we do. Uh, we'll that, come up with some anyway, won't we? Let me just give a, a brief overview. Constantine, was his dates are 280 to 337, for people who don't know. He was uh, born in modern-day Serbia, and why we know him is because he was the most famous emperor of the Roman Empire, not the first, but probably the most famous, and he was the one to profess conversion to Christianity and legalized Christianity, freedom to the Christians. Legitimacy. Legitimacy, yeah, he really did. And he Christianized the empire and he changed it forever. And here's what I want people to see why we're talking about this. They say, well, because, you know, you might ask, why are you talking about a guy that lived 1,700 years ago? The reason is Constantine changed the entire complexion of the church. He gave it, like you said, legitimacy. He fostered so many changes that gave us our orthodox beliefs under him. Not He didn't do it himself, but he gave the fervor and the time and the place for the intellectual growth to, to grow into the theology that we know today, the worship that we have, so many things. Organization. Um, it was, organization, absolutely. It, it's like, well, why are you picking these books versus these books? Uh, the, and, and so they, they got them down and had the uh, the meeting. So, they, yeah, so much of what we, we talk about today grew out of um, the Council of Nicaea under him. He refuted Arianism, which I'm going to explain is a gigantic part of our belief. That came under him. Um, the Edict of Milan... Uh, the Council of Nicaea and Christian Expansion. So those are just a few of the reasons why we're talking about this man and this interesting figure, Constantine. Who was this man? And where did he come from? And how did he uh, gain such influence over the world? So, Doug, what, tell us a little bit about what led up to it. All right. So we're going to talk about Constantine, but first I have to back up about 80 years to an emperor named Servius Alexandra. Who, were, who was born in 207. Okay. Uh, and he ruled from 222 to 235. He's the last emperor of the Servian uh, dynasty. Now, is that was he over the Roman Empire? He was over the combined, and I, I'll get to that. Okay. Uh, he was, on his 14th birthday, he became the emperor, and his grandmother liked him better than her other grandson. So she got her other grandson assassinated, and oh my! So, <laughs> and These so, guys are brutal in the right. olden so, days. So right? he gets uh, this guy. Uh, is, he's fourteen years old. Becomes the emperor, the the youngest one until Gorian the, th- uh, the third, which was just two emperors later, who was thirteen years old. And his thirteen year reign was the longest reign of the sole em- as a sole emperor for ninety years. So wow. so for ninety years they they had a lot of a, change, a lot of turnover, mm-hmm. right? So how how far how long before Constantine would this guy be approximately? Uh, 
Well, it, he was from 222 to 235, and Constantine was born in 280. Two, two okay, 80, so yeah. maybe 60 years before. Right. Okay. So when he, this guy was assassinated, it kicked off the 50 years of, uh, uh, it's called the, the, the crisis of the third century. Okay. And what happened was you had a bunch of civil wars. Uh, well, he was the last legitimate uh, emperor, emperor mm-hmm. for a while. So, and the what was wrong was the Romans didn't have a line of secession rule. So, oh. who's going to rule? How do you pick somebody who is legitimate? Really? So they didn't have that. So when they, what happened was, uh, there was the Caesarians were attacking the empire. So he goes down and he's fighting against the Caesarian. He's leading as the emperor. He's leading against this, and. Uh, at the time, some might, the, there was a mutiny, and it's like the word divorce. You never say, hmm. this is the worst thing you can ever joke about in a marriage is, hey, honey, I want a divorce. Because right. if you ever say that to your wife, to your spouse, uh, it puts an implant in their mind, and pretty soon you're going to end up in a divorce. Just from that joke. Never don't bring say, it up, right? Don't ever bring up the word divorce. As a joke, as a or any, solution, it's never a way. Well, it, as a it joke, should never be. Yeah, right. As even a joke, don't ever yeah. mention the word. And that's what happened here: is you got a mutiny happen, and all of a sudden people thought, "Hmm, mutiny against the emperor. This is something." So after the war was finished in Persia, uh, Alexander returned to Antioch, and he met with Origen. Oh, really. One of the great fathers of the Christian church. We've done a whole show on Origen. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And his mother asked Origen to tutor Alexander, the emperor, in Christianity. And and so while Alexander was being educated in the church, Christian doctrines, the northern portion of the empire was being invaded by the Germanic tribes. No kidding. So now he... And now this is Alexander is the current... Emperor. Emperor at this time. Right. Servius Alexander. So Servius Alexander. Okay. Right. Get the so, names right. Right. So now, you know, he... The He's origin. being taught in Christianity by origin? Origin. My goodness, this is phenomenal. <laughs> I knew but, you would But like, also, doesn't this, doesn't this also bring another point real quick? When people say Christianity didn't even begin until Constantine, until the third century. Right. Four, you know, 300s. There's a... There was no such thing as a Bible or a Christian. I mean, you're talking here 80 years before Constantine was even around, even right. born. He was being tutored in the doctrines of Christianity by origin. By Does origin. that not refute? It, I mean, you know, it, it was well established Well established, right. That's amazing. Right. And so now he goes and has his celebrations for winning the, the you know, beating up the, uh, the beating, beating back the uh, Caesarian tri- uh, Empire in Rome. And now he says, hey, we've got the Germanic tribes are pushing over in, uh, in the northern part of the empire. So he goes up there and he's, he says, the tribes are still bickering among each other. Not the tribes, but the legions were bickering among each other. And he looks at this and goes, we really can't go to war against these Germanic tribes. I go over, and he makes a, uh, he bargains with them. Okay. Gives them a bribe, and that sets off all the, the legions. And he says, man, let's get rid of this guy. He's weak, and they kill him. So really? It sets off the crisis of the third century. Because you don't have a leader. You don't have it a, makes a vacuum, right? It creates right. a vacuum You don't have a a line of secession. How are we going to do this? And so what they do is 
you know, you've got pressure from evasion, civil war, plague, uh, economic depression. And so it's, it's a matter of for, tw- for 50 years, they have 26 emperors. My goodness, really? And it's just nothing but warlords. You know, this guy, this, uh, and they're fighting. And they're just fighting, they're just taking over each other. Roman right? is fighting Roman. If Correct. they're fighting from within, right. then you got to understand there's, you know, no wall around it. I mean, they're, they've got what? The barbarians, right? The Germans, the, 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 the Turks, I mean, the, whoever the, the, You get the Caesarians and the Persians, you know, all Persians that. all trying to take over. Right. And it gets down to a point. I, I got to talk to you about this one uh, uh, emperor who's in the middle of this. His name is Valerian, Emperor Valerian, Valerian. Uh-huh. right? And this is one of the things that we're reading back in history, and we hear about this emperor Valerian. And we have to say, okay, where did this information come from? Was it from later Christians? Because uh-huh. Valerian was super ruthless against Christians. He was persecuting Christians. Oh, yeah. yeah he's one of the worst. Uh, and they're saying, okay, he gets captured fighting the Persians, and he's taken prisoner, and they use him as a um, a stool so that the king can climb on his horse. He makes Valerian, Emperor Valerian get on all fours, steps on his back so he can step into you know, get onto oh, the horse. Okay. So just humiliate yes. the guy, right? Yes. But you bring up the point that of Christian persecution. The first, let me just throw this in, the first 300 years of Christianity, you know, begins on Pentecost. You've got Acts and where Paul's developing churches and so forth. I'm talking about that time when you have the Jerusalem church, the churches in Turkey, in Egypt, where Origen came out of. When that begins to spread, it does spread like wildfire because the Holy Spirit is driving it and God has ordained it to happen. However... They were persecuted quite dramatically. Now, we don't know, you know, the records are sketchy, but we know many saints came out of this time. Many, many Christians were killed. We are, we have pretty good record that all of the apostles were persecuted, either crucified upside down like Peter or murdered, beheaded. Paul was beheaded in Rome and so forth. So I just want to make sure everyone understands that this continued. John, what about John? John actually wasn't. He died on the island of Patmos. He was the oldest. Right. Well, he was the youngest apostle. Which right. Yes. Yeah. So John lived. He was. Um, he wasn't killed, but he was arraigned out on an island and left for dead. Essentially, that's where he wrote Revelation, which they found. Right. Um, but he he died alone on the island of Patmos in the nineties. But most of the apostles died by the sword or were killed and the point being that the pattern of persecution by roman emperors and roman leaders was standard that was the that was what happened that's why this is such a big deal because christianity had to meet in homes and in hiding and it was very difficult yet it didn't burn out it didn't die out it actually grew stronger as far as faith but anyway just want to mention that and and the reason why the romans persecuted the Christians, as far as is, hey, you know, you're not doing the pagan ceremonies. Exactly. Right? And the emperor was Which supposed... they saw as a threat, probably. Right. Well, they had this, you're supposed to go up and do a, a dedication to Jupiter. And if you yes. don't do that, hey, the emperor's not, you know, not worshiping Jupiter. So right. it's going to be woe on the empire now. Yeah, and I think, Doug, that's a very good point, that the reason was 
that they didn't follow suit with the pagan rituals. Also, it was there was a move away from mon- pagan uh, polytheism. They were moving towards monotheism, which was not appreciated in the Roman Empire the, until Constantine. They only allowed pagan polytheistic religions and worshipped sun gods and Jupiter and so forth. Anyway. Right. Okay, so we've had talked about the, the 50 years of civil war. Yes, leading up to Constantine. Well, it was leading up to Di- Diocletian. Well, was the yeah. Em- was the Before, em- he was the emperor when Constantine was born, Diocletian. Correct. And he's the one that split the empire uh, into east and west. East being mostly uh, Greek, the west being Latin. Uh, That's good. That's a good split because that split continues for many years. East correct. And west. Right. So he splits it, and he says the upper uh, rulers are called Augustans. Augustus. Yeah. The lower rulers are called Caesars. Caesars. Okay. So, uh, and what you basically got, Doug, that what they called a tetrarchy. Tetrarchy. Right? Yes. Was wouldn't you say the reason they did that? Uh, and I don't know. I'm just guessing that. Diocletian felt like he he needed to divide up the leadership into almost like a council because he needed people on the ground in these different areas to manage the east and the west? Or do you think it was payoff? Do you think it was their political move, a military move? I really don't know. I mean, why would you, if you were the leader, because this is major in the life of well, what leads up to Augustine, this division of power. Well, if you... As I just mentioned, back on the, the on Servius, right, uh, Servius Alexander, he was down in in fighting the the battle in uh, uh, against the uh, against the Persian Empire when the Germans are. So he has to move very okay. quickly, and he's got rumbles down here. He got in, so, so he couldn't do it all. He couldn't do it all. So you got to imagine these people don't have the internet. They have no mail. Right. They have no. I mean, just. Imagine how difficult it would be to communicate across a, a really large several, area. Right? Yeah, it could be several weeks before you'll hear about things going on. Uh, I'm sure they had runners, and so you can get the information pretty quickly. But it's just a matter of uh, yeah. if now I've got a strong man in each in the four corners, okay. I shouldn't have any of these strong generals coming up against me. So it really was a matter of military protection. Probably. Well, I mean, why just, he did it? You just went through fifty years of yeah. uh, this guy popping up or this guy popping up and having okay. civil war. So it's a way to stabilize the these leadership. Are my, these are my three friends. They're going to protect my back. Yeah, right, there you go. Okay, right. One of the guys, one of the Augustans, was uh, it was Constantine's father. Oh, okay, Constantius. Constant, yeah. I believe it was Constantius. They're right? all the same name. Constantius. So, so yeah, his, Constantius. I yeah, Constantius. Constantius and yeah. his it was a Caesar, uh, okay. not Augustine. He was a Caesar. Caesar, okay, right, which is a junior emperor. And Under by, by the way, you got Constantine is the son who becomes the emperor. Constantius is his father, right? But he also has a sister named Constantius. Uh, Constantius. <laughs> so they all have the same name. I'm going to say Constantine. Constantine, his father and sister. Okay, that makes sense. Though. I can't keep him straight either. Right. So Constantine's father. Father. So when he was a little boy, his dad was a Caesar. Right. A junior emperor under the main emperor Diocletian, and that's major, I think. Right. Well, and and Constantine was used as a hostage 
and you know, basically I've got, okay, I've got your son. You can't do anything, dad. You know, you just don't, you don't go against me. I got your son down here in the, in my court. Really? Now in the year 305, Diocletian and Maximum, who were the two Augustans. Those are the high emperors. Right. Yeah. Diocletian was ruling over the east. Mm-hmm. Maximum was over ruling the, over the west. Okay. They both retired and... And that was not typical to retire, I read, by the way. Well, but they did. They did. They st- in other words, they didn't die in office. Right. As a but deal, they stepped they down. They caught a debilitating illness. Okay. You know. And so they're thinking, okay, they're, of course they're going to report. They're, they're going to take their two junior officers, sure. and they're going to appoint them now to Augustus. Augustus, right. And we're going to appoint their two sons are going to be taking their spot, right? That's what everybody thought it was. So Maxim, uh, So Constantine's father was appointed Augustine. Okay, and this other fella was appointed to uh, to the other side. The other side, okay, right. So, but one on the west, one on the east, yeah, right. But his son was not. He, okay, they chose two of the people who are more closely related to uh, uh, Galatians. Okay, the, the other Augustine. Yeah, the Augustine. Okay, and Constantine was ignored. Okay, so now he's in he's in this guy's court, a Galatia's court. Okay, and he uh, he's got to get out of there. Yeah. yeah, he's been he's held captive, yeah. right? So he like he tricks the guy into saying, "Hey, I need to go help my father uh, fight in in England." So he lets him go, and that's where he takes off in a horse and he hamstrings every horse along the in the wake. Okay, and so he makes it up there, and uh, and he helps his father. His father uh, only lived about a year fighting mm-hmm. that battle before okay. he fa- falls ill and dies, and this is where. Uh, uh, he, he says, "Okay, now you're going to be the Caesar," and so but, Constantine becomes the Caesar under, uh, which was his father's job, right? He takes that role. Doug, when I read about this, it's in the audience can look. It's very confusing as to exactly the path Constantine made to leadership. But what I I could summarize this way that. The empire was in a bit of a downfall. You said when Diocletian stepped down and the other emperor, it left a vacuum of leadership, and it looked like it would be going back towards civil war again. Well, there was a lot of confusion. Well, initially he appointed uh, uh, Constantine's father as Augusta, and he appointed, but he didn't appoint who everybody thought was going to be the Caesars. Right. He pointed to the other two guys. So that that, that caused well, a problem. Yeah. Well, the problem was caused when Constantine's father passed away, he appointed his son as his replacement, and that's when people said, no, 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 no. You know, so that's when it started off with the Civil War, and we don't know how it, it, it basically is. They're fighting each other for a while. The four emperors or Caesars right, are right. fighting each other and then you finally have it's down to uh Constantine Those three. Licinius right Constantine and Max Maxentius Maxentius right. so here's the way I would summarize this Diocletian retired the problem was who to replace him from the lower leaders of the tetrarchy right the sons of the emperors which Constantine was a son of an emperor so it's a bit confusing how he actually became but we do know that during that civil war process, um, we had three 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 men rose to leadership: Constantine, Licinius, and Maxentius. Those three kind of held, as I understand, those three held the leadership as a type uh, tripartite. 
Right. Leadership. But as we know, that never lasts. Well, that goes One into about... One man has to win. Yeah, that goes to about four years of Civil War again. And, right. And it's called the Battle of Melvian Bridge. And this is really the next... This is the important point that we have to get to because this is really what changed history. Right. And This it, battle between Constantine, one of the emperors, and... Maxentius, who Maxin- was the other emperor. Right. So he was fighting. This is part of the Civil War, really. right? So Maxentius was in Rome, and he had destroyed all the bridges, but he goes back and he quickly makes this one bridge so his soldiers can get across. And what happens is Constantine puts off his force, and they're trying to escape. Well, they got a, a bridge that wasn't meant for them to escape on. It was meant to transport, but not to escape on. And so basically he is uh, he's killed. And, uh, and so that leaves now... Uh, Constantine. Right. But the big por- the important part of this, though, is really more theological. Right. He sees a midday cross. Constantine sees a midday cross in the sun. And then after that, so he knows that's Christianity. He sees Ch- a cross. Chiro. Right. Then Christ comes to him in a vision and explains a sign for him to use in battle to bring victory on this Milvian Bridge battle that we hear about. Right. And it was Cairo. C-H-I, Chi, and Rho, two letters that mean Christos, or the Christ. Okay. So, Jesus basically appears to Constantine. This is what we hear. And in a vision, because we have to mismake this point. Constantine was not a Christian before this. His father was an emperor under... under, His father was a Caesar under an emperor, Diocletian, who persecuted the Christians. Right. So his father was not known to be friendly to Christians. Now, and we don't know about his mother. She may she later became a Christian, and maybe she had some uh, leanings that way. But all we know is that Constantine had a vision of a cross that he felt was supernatural. Then he actually had a vision where Christ appears to him and says, put this on your uh Shields, Cairo, meaning the Christos, and you'll gain victory in the battle of Milvian Bridge. And that is so important because mentally that's what Constantine knew going into this battle is that apparently, Doug, it wasn't a battle he should have won. My understanding is when he fought Maxentius in, in this civil war, he was the underdog. Well, Yet he went into it with this this vision and the power of Christ on the shields. Well, what they're saying, and this is again, who knows it? What propaganda this is? That Maxenius saw that symbol, and he thought it was a an omen. Okay. So uh, superstitious against that symbol. Okay. And so that's what scared him off, and his in, and his uh, troops uh, fled because they're seeing their emperor is taken off and is is, okay. is scared of it's that scared symbol. Of, right? Isn't that something? Yeah. Eusebius accounts it this way. He says that uh, here's what he wrote in the midday. He said he saw with his own eyes in the heavens, and a trophy of the cross arising from the light of the sun, carrying the message. And in hoc signo vinces, which says, with this sign of the cross, you shall win. So that's what he actually, he got in the vision and, and in, the, in the cross. Uh, he says that Constantine, you know, had the dream then where Christ appeared to him and told him this would happen. Uh, if indeed it did, however it, it went about, Maxentius was killed, right? Oh, yeah. 
And he, and the, Constantine decapitated drowned. him, didn't he? Well, he after that. Well, he drowned. <laughs> and he so, drowned, and then he decapitated. He decapitated, him. so he can bring it into Rome and okay. show everybody. Yeah, show this guy's head. dead. I am Gosh. now the, the new. yeah. Wow. Well, it was a miracle winning this, and Constantine apparently gave the credit to God, uh, the Christian God, to helping him win this battle. Now, some people say, well, that probably never happened, or it was just a uh, maybe a, a made-up story. But you have to wonder, something pretty extreme had to happen for this guy, Constantine, who was a pagan. His dad was a pagan. His He worked under Diocletian at some point. His father did, and well, he did as well. He was in his court. What, why would he all of a sudden have favor to Christ? Well, that's why... He- Christians were, were saying, well, wait a minute now. You were in Diocletian's court when he did the great persecution, and you said nothing? Yeah. So there, there was a little bit of pushback against Constantine being such great because he didn't— He didn't stop it. He right. didn't do more to protect the Christians while he was, you know, he was in Diocletian's court. When he was court. younger, certainly, right. yeah. But anyway, well, I think it's because he had this experience later. He he wasn't one then. He had no reason to. But later, he has this this vision and this conversion experience. Now he did. He doesn't. He didn't know his father all that well. His father was a, a Roman imp, mm-hmm. uh, soldier, so he's yeah. always gone. Yeah. He may have a lot more influence by his mother, who may have been a Christian. We don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. possible. She certainly was later because right. she founded the church in Jerusalem uh, and, and was interested in church history. Now, let's go on. To, in the meeting. We've only got about 20 more minutes. So it was common for le- emperors to choose a deity to follow and to pray to. And prior to Constantine, it was always a pagan god. But Constantine becomes emperor because he, he wins the battle at Milvian Bridge, which... Maxentius is now out. Like you said, he brings his head. Now it's just between he and Licentius. Licentius, right? Correct. And he eventually wins a battle against him and becomes the sole emperor. Well, after the vision and he became the emperor, he did some things that were extremely important um, in, the, in that changed the church. The, and the, one of the things I want to mention was well, he, he did the Edict of Milan, which we'll get to in just a moment. But I want to mention in, in the importance of this. He built a new imperial residence that basically gave way to the Byzantium Empire in what's now Istanbul, Turkey. Istanbul. And he named it Constantinople. Under Correct. his He named it after himself. And we have to understand before that, there was no... Uh, castle there there was no leadership there it was all in rome and he moved his residence and his leadership point focal point was to turkey and this started the eastern uh, this will become the head of the eastern church right well it's a new rome well uh, byzanta becomes constantinople which becomes istanbul today right Uh, there was a town just south of there known as minneapolis okay and that was where uh, Diocletian had his court. Mm-hmm. And it's now a small town of 200,000 people, so you don't know what's under right. the, the city. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he Constantinople was a very good choice of, uh, as far as That was as a town. good political move. Well, it's a good strategic. It's very difficult to uh, 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 to 
to overcome the walls that were there. It, it lasted for a thousand years because it was a, such a good choice of a, of a place to build your your empire. So, yeah, but he, the first thing he did was stop the persecution of the Christians and legalize Christianity. And let's talk about that, the Edict of Milan. Now, this either was Constantine's doing or it was later ascribed to him, but it definitely came under his leadership. And in some way, I don't know, some people say he didn't actually do it, but uh, it was. <laughs> it's a little confusing. But the Edict of Milan is ascribed to him. And this prescribed freedom of religion for the first time in the Roman Empire. That's huge. Religion, people don't understand today. Some people are religious. Other people have no interest in religion. A lot of people are agnostic. Uh, Other people are not even, they just have no, they're nuns, no religion at all. In that day, we go back 1,700 years, what God you worshipped was very important. I mean, it, it still is. But right. in our day, we, we're a secular society. In that day, everybody had some kind of God they ascribed their, their deity that they answered to. Nobody would have thought in that day that there was no God. Uh, that would have been unheard of. Which God? That's a question. But the fact that he brought religious freedom to... Uh, Rome and allowed the Christians to stop going underground. He ended the persecution, and this really changed the direction of the church. And he legalized, and I remember at this point, he legalized Christianity, but we had to go further along to Theodosius I, who was an emperor from 379 to 395, which is about, was it, 50 years later? He, he, they call him Theodosius the Great. He's the one who says, okay, Christianity is now the legal religion of the empire. So that's even... The state, the yeah. state church of the Roman... That's it. It's, it's the official state church of the Roman Empire. So Constantinople... Constantine, Constantinople, yeah. Yeah, Constantine legalized it, but this guy makes it the official church of the... Uh, okay, so that was later. Yeah. 50 years later. But that later. couldn't have happened if it wasn't first able to flourish and grow under Constantine. Right. Constantine built five churches. He built, he built churches. Instead of them being underground, Right. he and, built some gigantic churches. And he yeah. took the money from the pagans, from the pagan <laughs> religions and pagan churches and puts it into, into these five uh, Christian churches that he built. Yeah. Now, as far as what he did, Doug with building churches and all that. We have to be clear. Constantine didn't outlaw pagan religion. You're saying later another emperor made it the official government church, Correct. which was big. But Constantine didn't do that. He didn't he didn't outlaw pagan worship. He just made Christianity legal, which allowed it to flourish on its own, and he did promote it. He right. actually supported it, and he himself was a Christian, right? Well, so. it, for the most part, he didn't take the destroy the yeah. churches and take out their you know, their possessions and imprison the people. That, sure. you know that's that's what Diocletian had been doing. He also in three twenty one he legislate the Sunday as the day of rest for all citizens. Right. He's the Sabbath, which is now Sunday, the day of the Lord, the Lord's day, became official under him. That's something that even to this day, uh, some restaurants still are not open on Sunday. Certainly in our lifetime, 
Nothing was open on Sunday. Well, it's, that really started under Constantine. Right. Well, it was during my uh, youth. You know, you, there was no stores, very, very, very few stores and restaurants that were open on Sunday. Oh, very few. And alcohol was, well, still to this day, isn't sold on Sunday in some places. Well, it's not sold on any days on <laughs> most of the eastern In dry county. counties, yeah. yeah. But, a, I mean, even just, just others don't sell it on Sunday. Right. Why? What's the difference between Sunday and any other day, I would ask? It goes back to Constantine, though. Right. It really does. I mean, that's the that's the basis of it. It started with the effects of Constantine, uh, and he legalized, he made Easter a holiday, and Christmas became, we talked our show on Christmas, right? The history of Christmas, right. Yeah, that, be, that came under, under him. Here's my question to you. We can talk about with some talking points here of why this would be. My question is, why did Constantine favor the Christians? Why did he protect Christianity? Was it his own conversion experience and his own love for God and Jesus Christ? We hope, but we don't know. Uh, but could it have been something else? Let's talk about, it may have been many things. Well, Let's talk about some of the reasons, because it changed the world. We need to and know. what would happen if he wasn't? You know, that's the biggest question. What would happen if Constantine had lost? Because some, some of these other people were kind of not too harsh on Christians. Really? Yes. You know, some of the people he defeated weren't too harsh. I think they were placating to them. They weren't actually saying, hey, we, you know, we're going to, you know, we're so you, do you think maybe, would it be that if Constantine didn't win, that maybe Licinius or Maxentius or one of the others might have done the same thing he did? I don't know. I mean, we, there's no way to know. But if, if, if Christian persecution would have continued and it never would have become the church of Rome and the church of the Roman Empire— there's no telling how different things would look today. I mean, it just certainly wouldn't. The money wouldn't have been there. The support wasn't there. You wouldn't have had the hierarchy and the doctrinal advantages right. well, and all the, all the intellectual that, change. We know that Charlemagne, uh, Charlemagne was in 800. Okay, so this was 400 years later. Yeah, 300 four, years later. Four, no, 500 years 500 later. 500 right? years yeah. later. Yeah, Charlemagne used that, and if you didn't become a Christian, you were... You were killed, but he used that as a control of his empire. A leverage. A leverage, yes. Not actually control, but yeah. A, a well, leverage. I think this is something that we have to think that perhaps Constantine did this simply uh, because he believed it would bring the empire together. He might have seen, hey, these Christians are growing. This is a group that's monotheistic, it has the mono picture, one God. Hey, I like that one God, one leader, right? right? I mean, it could have helped to bring the empire together. It could have been a he said he could look and say this 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 church has legs. This this is a growing sect despite persecution. They they've got some wealth. They've got a little clout. You know they do. Now again, they weren't growing group that way visually, but they did have some clout. They did have some money. And he could have used it as a vehicle to bring the empire together under monotheism. Right. Well, you, you said something. It, it's a way of unifying the country, right? Well, you have a country this vast. Right. From, from Spain all the way to Persia. 
from you know from it's uh, a gigantic area right yeah. do they all speak the same language i mean either you have language or you have religion you got to have some way or another of combining these people that's a very good point doug unification of a people has to come under something is it going to be country uh, allegiance your patriotism is it going to be under language is it going to be under money but something's got to drive it economy in that day religion was the driver and our song by incubus drive right you got to drive it and the thing that would drive it was religion i think that's partly why however if he did have that vision I mean, if you saw a vision of a cross and then, and then Christ came to you and said, use the Cairo and you'll win the battle, and you were worried about winning, and you did, you followed that, that would tend to influence you to think, I probably ought to follow this religion. So maybe that was it. But certainly his political aspirations were at least helped by it. Right. Yeah. How long is it going to last? You know, this... This the, brought solidarity. Right. The... The Byzantine Empire lasted another thousand years, twelve hundred years yeah, yeah. after this. Twelve hundred yeah. years. Think of the Soviet Union, where they didn't have, you know, they they use Russian, the language, the Russian language, to solidify the country, but it only lasted seventy years. So you got to have a strong man who is pushing down your citizens to keep them from uh, rebelling, and so you got to have something that unifies the country. I agree, and but and we can say, well, of course. Christianity would unify Rome and become the great church it is today, but he had to take a chance on that because he couldn't have possibly, he didn't have a crystal ball, he couldn't see what would happen. He could think, perhaps this will work. Unify the church, unify the empire under religion, and it will unify my leadership and strengthen the country. It worked, but he certainly had no guarantee of that to use it as a vehicle, but it, it did in fact work. Well, let's go back to your sermon. Your sermon was talking about when Christians are not are persecuted, they go underground, they spread, they get stronger. Now he just uh, unified the, you know, he just made Christianity legal, mm -hmm. so they're no longer persecuted. And 50 years later, uh -huh. Theodosius says it's now the official religion of the Roman Empire. And so that has both opportunities and dangers, and it, it brings both uh, both. You know, favor and it also brings fall and you right. can't you have to look at both sides of it without it christianity would have been a fledgling religion that we don't know exactly what would have happened for sure it may have grown strong in doctrine but never grown in numbers never grown to the great church it is or it took could have took a thousand years um, however when you grow in numbers that fast you also lose in fervor and devotion and strength as far as your your belief system so some there's good and bad it ended persecution we know that uh and we have to say that certainly it was legislated that it ended so that was phenomenal and great um however and you know property was returned that's another thing they well, they built churches and they got their property back before that they couldn't even keep property the church well, could and we do, got you know we've got a unif um not a unified, a standardized religion, right? right? They actually says, okay, by golly, in the Old Testament, before the Old Testament, before we had the uh, this time, uh, there was not an Old Testament and a New Testament, right? Now we have a Bible that says these are the books of the Bible. 
the, on the New Testament and the Old Testament. Right, put it together, yeah. Right, because you have different books out there called, let's say, the, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel, mm-hmm. and all these other things that were written at the same time, were written in 300. Sure, sure. At the same time, yeah. those books are written. They said, no, 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 these are 300 years after Jesus. We want just the ones that were written during the time right. the apostles Canon, were the alive. canon. The canon was brought together. Correct. That's the way they say it. Canonization happened. And that happened, and we need to mention, of course, the big accomplishment was the Council of Nicaea. This would never have happened if it wasn't for Constantine and his legalization and promotion of Christianity. Now, let me tell you what that accomplished. Number one thing it accomplished, Doug, it, they decided, they settled forever the Christological issue that Jesus was divine. I mean, this is gigantic. Christian orthodoxy is based on the Trinity, based on the fact that Jesus Christ was not just a prophet or a teacher, but he was in fact God in the flesh. That was known, and the Christians knew that, but it wasn't written down as orthodoxy and certainty because they debated it. And of course, why not? It's the most radical thing anybody's ever said. This guy is not only a great teacher and son of God, he is God. Well, that's there's a difference there. And so they had to nuance that, and uh, that happened at the Council of Nicaea under the leadership of Constantine. And Trinity became Orthodox. It's called the uh, dispute over Arianism. Arianism. Yes. Okay, that, that, that's what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and he defeated Arianism. And what that basically was, a very important part of church history real quick, that uh, a, a fellow rose up named Arian who said Jesus was created. He, he was a created being. He wasn't always God, okay? And that was what it comes down to, because they're basically saying, if Jesus just was born, and even even if he was God-like or Messiah, Arian was saying he was a created being, like an angel. He wasn't forever eternal, okay? We have a show coming up on what it means to be timeless and eternal. God was around before the universe was created. And according to the Council of Nicaea, so was Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Jesus was there with him. Because the book, the Gospel of John says, uh, God created everything through Jesus. Well, he couldn't have come up only uh, in a backwoods town of uh, Judea 2,000 years later or a million years later or 13 billion years later, depending right. on how long it was, uh, for the first time if, in fact, he created the universe. That goes into timelessness. But they decided that and defeated Arianism. And that was all done under Constantine. So orthodoxy, things we just take for granted, like the fact that we believe in the Trinity, the fact that we believe Jesus is divine, the fact that we have a canon of Scripture, all of that was decided under Constantine. Huge. Huge. Another thing, Doug, is worship. This is, this is big. Choirs were developed under Constantine's time. The big basilicas, these gigantic churches with stained glass windows and incense and... and atriums and pulpits and all this stuff that all came in under constantine before that people were meeting in homes they were meeting in secret underground couldn't get organized under constantine we get choirs we get wardrobes for priests to wear we get the relics we get pilgrimages to the holy land basilicas and ornate structures all that came under constantine so those are good things, and, and our litur- liturgy that we have today, that we have a bulletin that says you're going to say the 
Gloria Patria, right? And right, then you're right. going to pray and all these kind of things. So these, this all came out of Constantine. Another gigantic thing that came out of Constantine was for the opposite reason. Not because he embraced Christianity, but the opposite. Because he embraced it, you get the desert fathers and you get monasticism. There was no such thing as monks before Constantine because people that were Christian were devoted. When Constantine makes Christianity legal, all these people start becoming Christian, quote-unquote. I'm using air quotes here, (laughs) right? They come in because it's the thing to do, but they really aren't. They just come there because it's the political correct thing to do. It's looked upon, oh, you're, you're not Christian? You know, right? right? Well, so the, you water down the faith. This was another sermon that? of yours where, uh, uh, who was it? There was a couple apostles who were performing miracles, and this guy who was a— Simon, yeah, yeah a he, sorcerer. He was, one, you know, oh, I got to learn this. He and, saw something he could gain from it. Right. And so he wasn't. He, he wasn't. He, he it wasn't true. He wasn't a Christian. He didn't believe in it, but he wanted the power. He wanted the power, exactly. Very good example. So this is happening on large scale. The, the, the story of it, it, Simon. The story about Simon was from, was from what? That's uh, from the Acts. Acts. That's from probably 200 years before this. The book of Acts. In the book of Acts where uh, Paul and, and Philip are bringing the gospel to different parts of Asia. Okay. Yeah. So same thing. You're right. It's the exact same thing on large scale. So what's the response to that? Monasticisms. Monks, Christians start saying, uh, look, we don't like this watered-down church, so we're going to the desert. And so <laughs> you get hundreds of really serious Christians who were interested in prayer, meditation, knowing the Bible. Uh, they were academics. I mean, these guys wrote books. You know, right, They, they right. were very bright, but they didn't like the watered-down. They didn't like the direction the Church of Rome was going in. Which is well, still an issue today in some circles, right? I mean, what the Roman Church ultimately did. So let me just say, they they went into the desert and started what's called the Desert Fathers, and it led to a purity uh, movement and a mass exodus of Christians and hermits that uh, wrote things like the Rule of Benedict and John Cashin's conferences and St. Anthony. These things are still with us today. They would never have come about if it weren't for those scholars going into the desert and living and then writing these things down, and now we have them today. All right. We've talked on previous shows about the six centers of Christianity in the new yes. church. All right. And that took place in in the uh, at this time? Yeah, well, I would say it would be between... Absolutely. It started right after the resurrection because when the apostles started going different places, you got Origen, you mentioned. Right. That was one of the centers in Alexandria, okay. Egypt. Then you had another one in Turkey and another one in Rome, and you've got Constantinople. So it really kind of developed a little bit before this. I would say the six centers that we talked about on that show with George Saris probably developed after Constantine. Right, and the... The, formally developed, right. yeah. Well, the churches of the Roman Empire, which would be uh, on the Western Roman Empire, which is Catholic and the Protestants, all came out of the Roman center. Oh, the Western side. Of uh, the yes. Western side, which has hell is forever. 
That's right. Versus uh, the Eastern side. The Eastern side, the, the Orthodoxy, the Roman Orthodox. I the, mean, the, the Eastern the, the, Orthodox. The, yeah. the Greek and the uh, Russian, Russian Orthodox, Orthodox yeah. are all hell is temporary. So hell is a <laughs> yeah. Hell is a, a bad place that you can get your you can work your way out of after you die. They have a very different view on the afterlife. And remember, of the six centers, right. four of the six believed that hell was either temporary or could be worked out of after right, right. two centers, uh, Rome, the two most western, right? Okay. Right, and then Rome was the only one that said, no, no, hell is forever. Which is the western view. Right. And... We've said on this, it's controversial, and a lot of people don't like it, but we're just trying to get to the truth. And we see that the early Christian church is certainly at least half, if not more, believed that uh, hell was real, but it was locked from the inside. And you might be able to work your way. It may take you a million years or whatever. You know, there's no time, but you could get out. Now, the Western and the Roman part that came out of this said hell was forever and eternal, and eternal torment, which gave more leverage to the priests and the bishops, right? Because then you can hold that over. If that's all people ever knew, then you have to do what the church says because, right? Well, I mean, that's, there's more leverage. And I'm not saying that's the only reason, but that certainly right. goes with it. The reason why the, Eastern, the, the three Eastern churches are saying that, that hell is temporary, they said, if God is all-powerful, then he has to win out overall. So even Satan himself has eventually. To, will eventually make it into heaven. If God is all-powerful, then... That's the extreme uh, side of it, yes. Yeah, it may the extreme be side of it, billions yes. of years, right. but, but even Satan himself will, well, will be won over. We've said, though, as heretical as that sounds to some people, it kind of makes sense if God is all-powerful and if we if god is the being that we've said he is right wouldn't it be that he would eventually even win out his greatest foe lucifer right and all of those that fell behind him hitler and everybody else so pretty fascinating the other thing i want to mention is the other great thing that grew out of constantine doug which you'll like is intellectual activity if it wasn't for unifying the roman empire under that religion under Christianity, we would never have had all of the intellectual progress and the philosophical progress of writing and the academics that all came out of that, uh, really, that work to unify the canon, write about these things, discuss the Trinity. I mean, that you have to have time to do that, for one. Right. And you have to be free. You can't do that if you're running for your life. So he gave them a, a protection to foster... Uh, scholarship, language development, and academic fervor. I just think we cannot highlight enough, Doug, that the growth of, of intellectual academic fervor, much of that came from the church, and it came from Constantine's action to legalize Christianity. If it wasn't for that, very different look that we would see as far as uh, carving out theological and philosophical work today. But he did split the empire into, into two, east and west. And so you have the western empire, which is Rome, which is Latin. Latin. It lasted another 160 years okay. before it fell. 
And when it falls, all it does is the people, the barbarians that were there, says, hey, we like this Roman Empire. We just wanted it to be under us, not under the Romans. Now, would that be under German or it was, France? You got, you got the... the the, the Franks coming along later, a little bit later, but you've got uh, the Visigoths and, and those type okay. of people are there. Uh, and so uh, Charles de Hammer comes around and you know, he defeats the, the, uh, uh, the Muslims in, uh, that's like 632? No, 732. 732, okay. he defeats the, the, the Muslims in, in, the, in that, uh, the Battle of Tours. Uh, and, and like I said, Charlemagne was 800. So this is a few years later. In the same time, the Byzantine Empire, which is the Eastern Roman Empire, sure. it lasts until 1500. Summarized this way, after Constantine dies, he makes all these great changes. He, he dies, and now we move into the 4th and 5th centuries, and we see that the Western Empire falls. The Eastern lives on for another 1,200 years, 1,000 years, whatever. Right. Uh, under various emperors oh, and course. so forth uh, that follow in his footsteps. Um, but his memory and his impact and his influence lived on until many scholars say, Doug, that Constant Constantine's reflections and leadership in his era ruled until the 20th century. And I think in the 1900s, just in our lifetime, we've started to see the move away from Constantinian uh patterns and constantinian leadership up until our lifetime that's what a lot of theological scholars say is that uh, it, it really uh was only until the last 50 years that we've seen a move away from constantine's legacy okay okay pretty fascinating absolutely and the church has certainly been impacted by it Okay, Andy, I've got just a, a, a quick question that keeps popping on my head is, why, how was the the Christians spread out so much? They're spreading within the, everywhere. They're, they seem to be everywhere within the empire, within the Roman Empire. How are they spreading if they are so persecuted? Yeah, and this is a great question, Doug, and really one of the central points of this whole show. Normally, if we just would think about any religion, whether it be Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, any religion, on itself, would we expect that if the price for practicing it was either death or morbidity, you know, injury, death, or threat, you would think that religion would very quickly get squashed out because... I mean, if it's, a, if it's just an idea, a system of ideas or a book or a belief system, okay, fine, you want to live that way. But if I start saying, if you follow that and I find out, I'm going to take your home from you or I'm going to tax you or I'm going to kill you, well, torture you, well, would still, you do it? Yeah, they still do it today in, in Malaysia. I had a, 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 fellow, a co-worker uh, that I worked with who said, he was a, and believe it or not, a Chinese who worked in Malaysia, who lived in Malaysia, grew up in Malaysia. He's a Catholic. Okay. And he said he couldn't go to, he had to go to a Catholic school. He couldn't go to the public school because public schools, you had to be Muslim. Religion has power is what you're saying. And, but if religion brings punishment, if it brings 
torture, persecution, or death, what generally happens is people think, well, maybe that's not the, maybe I'll not do that. <laughs> I mean, I, I may be dedicated to it, but as soon as there becomes a high price, most people, most sane people would say, well, I don't think this is worth it. However, with Christianity, we see just the opposite. It had to be every generation. It's not going to do it just because no. your mom and dad or anything like that. And a, and a key point about this, Doug, is people can believe many things and be sincere about it and be wrong and die for it. I mean, people die for things all the time that are wrong. This generation would have been dying for something that they knew to be a lie because they were there. I mean, that first generation, the first, the first 50 years, right? Correct, they, correct. they spread the gospel under the threat of persecution and death, and that makes no sense. Because if they knew they were making this up, right. and they knew that Jesus really didn't raise, and they knew that he was still buried somewhere, or they hid the body, or whatever, they simply would have backed off. Because why would you die for something that you know is a lie? It's one thing to die for something that you think is true, but you're mistaken. Right. And most people won't do that either. <laughs> but you, you, you could find people to do that. It wouldn't right. be very common. But to to die for something that you know is a lie, unheard of. Right. Well, this. But is, it did. It spread despite persecution. It spread like wildfire. Right. Well, I mean, it was even spread in two hundred years later, which is where Constantine comes right. in. Right. Two hundred years after that generation had died out. So Doug Constantine is an amazing figure in history. We've you know we're tell, talking about some of the great things he did. He was certainly a great political leader. Probably the greatest emperor of one of the greatest empires, Rome. And we think that he had a great vision and was converted to Christianity. However, he wasn't baptized until he was on his deathbed. So my question is, was he a Christian, really? Or, or did he just follow Christianity for gain? What, what can we say? Uh, a Cairo Christian in name only? <laughs> but... I mean, well, you got to go back and say, by golly, he's he's doing all these works. He's he built. I mean, how many people do you know built five uh, five major <laughs> churches? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he certainly did great things for the Christians. And you ask why? Why do that? Right? I mean, is there really that much advantage? I mean, he can't know the future. It did end up being a good thing, I think, because it brought more unity. But how could he know that? And again, if it's supernatural, if God wanted him to do it, then he could give him a sign to do that, right? Just right. like Paul and well, others. Every step of the way, he was even at the Edict of Milan. Right. He wanted the Christians to be uh, legalized. And so you can't, per you know, so right. he made a deal with his rival to no longer persecute the Christians. Yeah, he definitely gave them uh, a green light. He did so many things. Our worship today, it looks the way it does because of him. It's really hard to talk about all that and say he wasn't a believer. I think perhaps maybe he waited to get baptized because in his mind he had to do some pretty ruthless things as a leader. Absolutely, he had to do. <laughs> and he thought, I, I don't want to taint my baptism with uh, beheading people. Because, you know, at, well, as a leader... Let's be honest, none of us are perfect. Well, and as a leader, he would have to do some immoral things despite being a believer. He killed his nephew, his son, and his second wife. So many 
barbaric things happen like that. And, and, and you just wonder if maybe he, he knew that he couldn't live with that guilt and he didn't want to taint his... But it also shows that he really did believe <laughs> in, in the gospel, right? He believed in life after death and eternal life because he, it was special to him. I mean, if he didn't believe it, he would have gotten baptized right off and not worried about it, maybe. I don't know. Well, he did celebrate more than just Christianity because uh, his Arch of Triumph doesn't have, you know, of the, the triumph of the Battle of, of uh, Milvian. Milvian Bridge mm-hmm. has no indications of, of Christianity on there at all. It's all to the pagan gods. Huh. Of, so there you can see his Arch has nothing... Well, that is that is curious, and I think he may be struggling back and forth. He might be. He might be trying. You might see a. You might see the picture of one developing a faith, who's going back and forth. We see people today that they attend church, but they're atheists. But they're in church every Sunday. Uh, you see them three years later, and they say, "Well, I'm agnostic now." Okay. Then you see them a few years later, and they've gotten baptized. So, you know, this faith thing is a walk. It's a journey. And I suspect he was on a journey. Well, he does. He was trying to get baptized in the River Jordan. Well, at, at, at the end of his life. Yeah. At, I don't know why he knew right. he was getting, you know, at the end of getting his close, life. close, yeah. Yeah, so he was on his way to, to the River Jordan to get baptized and, and doesn't make it. I think he probably, in the end was a believer and I think that he did a lot for Christianity so I think I think he'll be there and I think uh, he was on a journey I was on a faith journey and he certainly changed the world Bridge of sun.